Well, hey there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wastelands known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Well, the holidays are over for us and we've started to get back into production mode. I know that it's been a little bit hit and miss for us since we came back uh, from me working at Disneyland. Uh, we are exciting stuff. So, um, uh, and I have been uh, spending as much time as I can here in LA and, uh, down at the parks, uh, hanging out with friends, recording some videos and making sure that we're documenting everything that's happening on the Jungle Cruise. Of course, it's a very exciting year. Uh, we have the Jungle Cruise movie coming out in July. Uh, there's all kinds of questions, obviously, with the health issues that are happening. I know there's a lot of movies that are getting pushed back, uh, but our fingers are crossed that that will be uh, coming out on schedule. Uh, we have heard that as of the start of February that they did uh, do a couple uh, casting announcements and rehires for reshoots. Uh, there has been some buzz that those are pretty extensive reshoots, reshoots that happened down in uh, in Florida, excuse me, in Georgia. So we'll see how that actually impacts the film. Uh, very excited. However, uh, all the things that we've seen are extremely, extremely good, and it definitely is a love letter to the skippers. Uh, of course, the other big news is about two weeks ago, we had a, a boat at Walt Disney World. Uh, the Bertha did sink with guests on board. Uh, there was a lot of hullabaloo about that. If you have not seen the news and the information, please make sure you check us out over at Facebook at facebook.com slash Jungle Cruise, C-R-E-W-S. Well, all kinds of uh, stuff continuing to happen. Uh, we still have the Skipper store up and running. Uh, we're over on tpublic.com. Uh, you can just search the Skipper store, but the easier way to get to it uh, is over from our Facebook store. We do have links to that. Lots of new products, lots of things happening in the realm of jungle information and, and uh, merch. So make sure you check that out. Uh, finally, this episode is a long time coming. We first had our first chat with this gentleman about uh, two years ago when we went down to Orlando for a informal Walt Disney World Skipper reunion. Uh, we tried to uh, connect with him at that point, but at that point he was still working for the company. But since then, Skipper Jeff Lessel has left the company and uh, was kind enough to sit down with us uh, over the phone for about an hour and uh, tell us some of his history with his 20 years at the Jungle Cruise uh, and then 10 years at the Hall of Presidents at Magic Kingdom. He was an institution uh, in the Walt Disney World realm of Jungle Cruise. And uh, we are pleased to spend the time with him, hear his thoughts and opinions, uh, kind of tell his story out here in the world of Internet land. Well, thanks, everyone. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we look forward to continuing to get you new episodes. We have three or four on the schedule right now. It seems like everyone is available now that the holidays are wrapped up. We will get those out to you as quickly as we can. Uh, thanks, everyone. Have a great time out there. And uh, we appreciate your tuning in. Ryan, here we go. Skipper Jeff Lessel here on the Jungle Cruise Podcast. when that opened you know i'm lucky enough to have a little tribute in the in the uh, the restaurant 
Um, oh, it's beautiful. I love yeah. it. I, 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 what a great concept. I think it's the best food at Magic Kingdom. Uh, is it successful? Because there are some days where it's the only place where you can get in. So I was always worried about if it's doing well. Well, but it has a, it has a larger seating area. I mean, I think it has. Got, got it. Other than be our guest, that I think it has the biggest seating capacity. Um, but yeah, I think people don't know what to make of it because it is kind of pan Asian. Uh, it has a little bit different feel. Uh, but I know that the the people who come over from uh, from China and Japan, it's it's uh, very well received for the food that's there. So, yeah, they I believe, uh, based on the numbers, based on the numbers, I believe it's a successful concept. As far as Babington goes, he's the person who probably knows the most. He knows the technical stuff, like he knows which boats are good and the trough. I was never into that. I just consider myself a guy trying to be funny and have a good time and yeah. do some overtime. Uh, but he knows the people who've taken the most people on the Jungle Cruise are in Disney World history are Babington, a fellow named Frank Rubicki, and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, have you ever heard of a guy named Walter Bryce or a story about a guy named Walter Bryce? You know, that one I, that one I have not, by the way. That, that's a name uh, I haven't. Up, uh, the guys from the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Steve Scher, uh, Pat Mahoney, Randy Dunn, uh, 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 they would know him. Uh, he was amazing. He was a, uh, a fellow, African-American fellow, very skinny, came down, work seasonal when you were allowed to work seasonal and go back and forth. And he mm-hmm. had the classic look and feel of a skipper. And on the Jungle 2020 site, he was tributed by the people who know him. Yeah. Uh, George Lang would know him, too. He's an executive, I think, at Disneyland. And I have... So you've got... I think if people... If I, yeah, if you add up positive currency on the Internet, uh, I understand the Internet is a messenger of hate, I've not actually used a computer much in my life at all. Yep. A little bit on the jungle point side, I've probably got uh, more positive messages compared to negative than I ever would have imagined. And I was truly touched by how many people wrote wonderful things about me when I retired after 30 years mm-hmm. on the original jungle site. There's a whole list of things that were un- 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 unrequested. It just spontaneously combusted. And then they also wrote nice things about me on the jungle 2020 reunion. I did not know, ask, or request for any of that attention. I was just so moved and I cried realizing how many people liked me. And I just thought of them as casual work friends. Yeah. I didn't realize what a close bond we built and what an amazing place it was, especially in the late eighties till about 2008 or 10, what an amazing human and social place. And I think a little bit, a little bit of that has been lost, but yeah. I was so touched by the words of what people said. I'm not trying to be phony. I just, oh, no, no. Away. my wife was blown away too. Well, that's that's the feeling that I got when I got to meet you. Uh, you know, the two, the twenty seventeen uh, get together. I mean, do you have the time now? Do you have half an hour, or do you do you want to do this uh, a different? Uh, yeah, I can I can speak I can speak to you now. If the phone connection is adequate, are you going to just transcribe these words and print them? That might be better because my voice is kind of New Yorkish, and no. we're just on a cell phone <laughs> as opposed to a landline. That's fair. As it, you seem to be a good sport and a gentleman. And you seem to be well appreciated by people who I appreciate. Mm-hmm. So I'll try to answer faithfully any questions and try not to say anything negative. Yeah. And if I do, I apologize or we'll edit it. Okay, no, no, it's, try to ask me any questions. Well, no, and it's absolutely good. So, I mean, the, um, you know, the biggest thing that we always kind of start with, Jeff, is uh, so you, you were saying 1988 was, uh, was when you started with the company. What was, what was the reason that you uh, uh, were brought, you know, uh, were motivated to come work for Walt Disney World? Uh, the city of Miami Beach, when I, it's one of the greatest places to grow up and 
be a child in the 70s in Miami Beach. They would take us on these four-hour bus trips up to Disney World two or three times a year, $15 round trip. And me and my friends were in upper elementary grades, the perfect age to come to Disney for the first time. And we were, we were just so thrilled just to get on the monorail as it went through the contemporary was like an amazing experience for us. Uh, you know, so we, we, we hadn't even gotten to the park and were already thrilled. And we just loved everything we went on there. I thought it was the coolest place. I would ask the people, teenagers in the 18 to 20 range, so you get to work here and like you can go on the rides anytime you want. And you get, you can come here anytime you want and they give you money. I was, it sounds corny or we were just not jaded. We thought it was just so cool Mm -hmm. that people could work at Disney World and everyone looked so clean cut. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was like looking at American workers from the 1950s, even though it was in the 1970s. And there was no graffiti, no broken glass. And all the things you get at amusement parks, which I had seen as a little kid, I did not see at Disney. So I was impressed with what I did not see as well as what I did see. And I always imagined having a Disney career. I had no idea what. And I went two or three times a year to Disney World uh, until I was a young man in my early 20s. My friend moved to Orlando from Miami Beach after his parents died. And he worked at Disney World and went to UCF. And I'd meet his friends when I'd come up for the weekends. So I actually had friends at Disney World before I worked there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, I always forget, Epcot opened what year? Um, I think October 1st, 1982. Yeah, 82. So, yeah, so that was, you know, you're coming into that with all the, you know, that's still a baby when you're coming into work, you know, six years later. Uh, so, I mean, there's that excitement. But, yeah, I, I definitely uh, – I love – what you were saying about riding the monorail in and having that, that theming. I love with Walt Disney world, how there's a sense of anticipation that is far greater than you get with, with Anaheim. Uh, it's, it's a really, they build up the drama with even just getting into the park. Cause it was in the middle of a forest yeah. in the 1970s. It was literally, literally you go to the top of the contemporary and view North specifically North away opposite from the magic kingdom and the, Polynesian, and you would see orange groves and lakes and trees, nothing else. You would yep. see forest. So what was your... Uh, uh, by the way... Uh, oh, excuse me. No, no, go, go ahead, we, please. They actually, when they were building Epcot, when they were building Epcot, you can pay a buck or two and take a monorail out to the site and see the site, the construction site, and there was a guest relations host asking questions. We paid a dollar just to ride the monorail to the Epcot construction site. It was about 79 or 80, and we left so hard that Disney was able to get a dollar out of us just for driving the monorail to the site. <laughs> but we said, boy, this company's going to make money. <laughs> so what was your, uh, what was your hiring in process like? You know, did you get into attractions right off the bat? No, I was a little disappointed in that because my friend, and he was best man at my wedding a few years later, uh, said, I'll get you a job at Disney World. And I thought, oh, I'm going to work at Haunted Mansion or Pirates of the Caribbean or Jungle Cruise. And they he he they got me into merchandise, so I was a stalker in, in behind Cinderella's Castle and Cinderella's Toy Shop. And I was maybe the only guy or one of two guys out of 25 in the shop, and I would just run and fill flush toys. And basically, whatever the ladies asked me to do, I would do. I was a runner because I'm not good at standing still, but I would go on the ride after work and say, merchandise is kind of cool because I'm at Disney World, but I really want to be in attractions. And I got there a year later. Mm-hmm. I transferred. And where, what, uh, what areas you transfer into? I went just for merchandise 
uh, at being a stacker in Cinderella Story Shop through the Jungle Cruise. It was my first ride. They were also very flexible in scheduling. I was a tutor. I would tutor part-time, and I wanted to have split days off. And they thought it was cool to give me split days off Monday and Wednesday, but merchandise they were only giving Tuesday weekends. So they were much more flexible and informal. One of the many differences of Disney World of 2020 and Disney World in 1988. It's true, they'll give you split days off of the jungle because they have 50 or 60 people work there a day, so they'll give you any schedule you want. And if you had a year seniority, you were in about the top quarter. So they didn't mind. Mm-hmm. So uh, was, was Jungle Cruise your first choice for, uh, for the attractions you wanted to work on? Absolutely. Because I would go and we would evaluate the skippers informally and say, hey, I'm Jeff, I work in merchandise. You're one of the best I've seen, or you're funny, or uh, or if we thought a guy was just okay, we'd quietly go off the boat and not say anything negative. But sure, we, would, we weren't like jungle groupies. Yeah. Uh, but me and my friends, would go when we go on rides, we always went on the Jungle Cruise. Whether we were there for an hour or for six hours, we always went on the Jungle Cruise after work if we went on rides. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's the magic of it is it's different every time. I mean, there's, every skipper brings their, their personality. Um, so, you know, I... Which is why, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kyle. No, no. Uh, so I know, you know, the timelines at Anaheim, obviously, very well. That That's where my grounding is at. Um, what was what was the the script like in the early 90s uh, at Walt Disney World? Were they were they really fanatical uh, about sticking to the to the, the paper? Was there a lot of a lot of uh, improvising and people doing their own things? What was the what was the tone at that point? Um, the script was comedy oriented. Because when I was told that when the jungle was originated, they wanted to create as much a realistic jungle experience, but as more people traveled around the world and more people saw nature movies, they wanted to, to give it a little more of a fun edge and less an informational edge. So there was basically jokes, jungle jokes built into the script. It was very much like the style you see now. As far as how close you were to follow it, as long as you were respectful, it was, we basically call the jungle script a skeleton. It's a skeleton. So you have 78% or 70, 80% of the body is the skeleton and the body cells, and you add the eyes, the hair color, the, the nose, and the, the features on the outside, and the skeleton was the strong inside. So if you were mostly pretty much there, 75 80%, and you were not disrespectful to Disney or to the guests, then you can have a little fun with 10 15% of your script, and people did, and they put their own touches on it, and management thought that was fine. If they came on your boat and you were 85% SOP, and everyone walked off smiling, and a little kid drove the boat, they were happy. Sometimes managers would come on my boat, like at night, especially at night, or during a hard ticket event, and they say, Jeff, just wing it because they were there with their wives or girlfriends and they just wanted to have fun because many of them had heard about me and maybe they thought I would be something really funny or off the wall, but they came on the boat and said, wing it. This almost never happened in the daytime, but it would occasionally happen at night. And I'm saying, Oh my goodness, I hope I don't get in trouble. But then, well, it's the manager sitting right there. (laughs) So let's just have some fun. Yeah. And it's, it's all about that relationship and honoring the spirit of the ride. So that was coming out of the, the mid to late 80s where, you know, Eisner was, uh, was, had come on board, you know, the Disney afternoon and uh, had, had kind of taken uh, a new generation of, of kids and started focusing their attentions on Disney and the parks had really strong growth. Did you see a lot of, um, from your time from 88 on, that uh, the park started getting more and more uh, – packed, more and more people coming, more interest, uh, more of a feel of people wanting to be there? 
that happened with the uh, uh, two things. The, I, I attribute that to the boom of economic boom of the nineties, and I attribute that to the internet. Uh, there's we have a joke, and the joke is only partially true. The joke is the internet changed the Jungle Cruise. Uh, but as people would communicate to what you about Disney World, more people got interested, more people came, uh, more people took flights, flights got cheaper, and the place got more crowded. It used to only be crowded, really crowded. Uh, parts of summer, uh, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. But with the hard ticket events especially, and with the wide world of sports and the conventions, the parks seemed to be fairly busy all the time with only a couple of late times in mid-September, maybe. But the park was really not very crowded most of the time during the school year when I started in the late 80s, and it was an informal feel. Uh, it just became bigger and bigger and bigger, and as the number of parks grew, the whole place just took on a much uh, larger feel. That's, that's normal to be expected. Yeah. Um, so what were the, uh, the changes that happened? I know that there was... Uh some refurbishments and some things that were added in during the, the nineties. Big change was, uh, well, everyone has their own opinions about the big changes. To me, the two or three biggest changes was the addition of a, in approximately 1994 of female skippers that changed the whole tone of the jungle cruise. Mm -hmm. The fraternity atmosphere was reduced and it was a more democratic place. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you wouldn't have, you'd have, you know, guy on guy rivalries where they'd yell at each other and try to outdo each other and try to be cooler than each other. And that was more common in the late eighties and early nineties than when after the ladies began working there in the mid nineties. And that was, uh, so for Anaheim, it was 95, uh, when Indiana Jones opened. That would be about right. Yeah. That was when we went co-ed. Uh, I'm, I'm estimating 94, 95. I don't know sure. exactly. The funny thing is I know, I know a half a dozen of the first few ladies that work there. I can throw their names at you. Uh, Jill Carr, Judy White and Jill Carr might have been the first two. Mm -hmm. Judy White and Jill Carr. Jill, mm -hmm. uh, Jill Carr might have changed her name. Anastasia, Anastasia Bozianowski was also one of the first. Yep. And Jen Marsh, yep. who I spoke to. She was at the reunion. She played a big role in it because she, she was a pal of Lana's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we had our our group of four uh, ladies who were our first batch in '95 who who kind of broke the walls down for uh, for Anaheim. Uh, so, did was there a, a mostly positive reaction? I know that there was some mixed feelings uh, in Anaheim, but it, it really quickly became a, a more positive feel. I mean, you always get people who you know, we'll go off on the female skippers aren't as funny or whatever they want to say. But uh, was it a, a mostly positive reaction in, in uh, Orlando? Um, well, it depends on who you ask. To me, as jokingly aside, me and my buddies would sit around each other and say, are the ladies going to be funny? And we weren't too optimistic because we thought of ourselves as the coolest and the funniest and part of a cool fraternity. And we thought the atmosphere would change. Some, guy, some guys were for it, some were against it, some had mixed feelings, but because it was a fraternity atmosphere, we knew it would be changed forever when the ladies began working there. So I was interested and concerned about whether or not they'd be funny, but um, I, I, I had an open mind, and I thought it made a much better atmosphere when they were integrated in, which took about the, uh, just a couple of months, basically. Then it was from there on, it was like, uh, it was like they always belonged there. So mm -hmm. it was fine. It was wonderful. A lot of people got married there. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, I mean, yeah. a lot of skippers married. A lot of skippers met their wives and girlfriends on the jungle cruise. Oh no, absolutely. It's, we we saw that in Anaheim as well. So. Um, so what are some of the, I mean, you know, with a, a 20 plus year career, uh, specifically on the jungle and 30 years, uh, at, at the parks, you know, uh, when I was talking with, with, um, one of the other skippers about like ideas about things to ask you about, uh, the comment that was made was just, just give you some runway and you'll find a way to take off that you have, uh, stacks of stories about your time there. Were there things that stood out for you for people you got to meet or, or moments that you got to have that were just, you know, uh, really indelible for you? Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the, Meeting celebrities was uh, surprisingly not the biggest part of it. I was lucky enough to meet quite a few, uh, quite a few, but I, I want to identify them. But it, a lot of people might say that it wasn't it. Uh, the first, the, the, the most thing that sticks in my mind is that it was a club. Mm-hmm. It was a club, and you were part of a club, and you didn't feel that, or you felt it only a little if you worked at other attractions. I mean, if you're doing it... I mean, the Peter Pan ride is an amazing dark ride. It's an artistic masterpiece. But you don't think you're cool or part of a club if you're working to unload at Peter Pan, other than the fact that you work at Walt Disney World, which is great. But if you worked at the Jungle Cruise and you hung out with the people after work and you discussed who was funny that day or who wasn't or the strength that happened, you thought you were part of the coolest club. So if Disney World is the coolest place in America to work, and the Magic Kingdom is the coolest part of Disney World, the Jungle Cruise was the coolest part of the Magic Kingdom, and the executives would come and basically tell us that. Mm -hmm. So we thought we were part of a fun, fun club. And that's in general. Uh, The first day I got there, this is when I checked out back in 89, uh, they give you a gun at the dock box. There's no dock box now. Uh, You hung around the dock box, and they gave you a gun, and like people would cheer you on or pat you on the back or say, and a couple of guys looked at me and everyone was crying and said, don't lose the gun. If you lose the gun, we're going to, well, you could just fill in the blanks mm-hmm. in your head. And they looked serious. And I remember I was 23 or 24. I probably looked 19. And I'm thinking, I was also about, you know, 5'7", 130. And I'm thinking, I better not lose this gun because these guys are going to beat me up and they'll just find me behind, behind property. But that was just the feeling I got by the end of the first week. People were high-fiving me and having a good time. But they let you know that you better not lose the gun. You better not miss your bumps. You better not say anything bad that gets you in trouble. And you better not do anything wrong. Just have fun. Do mostly SOP and be a good cast member. And the implication is you'll be part of the cool club. Mm -hmm. And I perceive that after a few weeks. Yeah, well, that's it's kind of the response. It's a with with great power comes great responsibility kind of a, a concept. Um, and it was so informal. It was so informal. Managers would not really spend a lot of the time nitpicking. Uh, it was, I don't want to say police itself, because it would indicate the other workers were bullies. The other workers were not bullies. Their fellow cast members were people who had expectations. And the informal learning, all the new hires got in the first two weeks is, you've got to meet these expectations. And these were not hard. Show up on time, make your bump. Don't be disrespectful. Don't be unsafe. God forbid, don't be unsafe. And everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the deal. We informally felt we were monitoring the place. And if we did a good job monitoring, the managers would not nitpick too much. Mm-hmm. And that was what we all understood informally if we didn't express it verbally on stage. 
Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, uh, you talk about feeling like, you know, you're, you're the, um, uh, part of a club. It's, it's the only job description that's out there where you're known by the thing you do. You know, you're a skipper. If you go over to the haunted mansion, you know, they don't really know, you know, you don't really have a job description that defines who you are when you're, you're working at the other rides to the level that being a skipper does. I'll let you even know. I'll expand on that very briefly. Uh, there was once a magazine article, like a culture magazine, and it said there's only a few low-paying jobs in America that have any real serious cool factor, and they noted a uh, blackjack dealer in Las Vegas, cowboy, and jungle cruise skipper at Disney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was hysterically funny, and I showed it to the guys at work, and they agreed. That, that's it's quite a quite a uh, comparison, quite a, a family of things to be part of. Uh, so, you know, we, uh, we touched on it briefly kind of off air before we got rolling, but, uh, you know, as of a week ago, we had another sinking, uh, of, of the, uh, the Bertha at Walt Disney World. And I know that you were, you were part of one of those situations at, uh, in Orlando. Do you want to tell the story about the, about, uh, the sinking of the boat when you were there? Uh, we were... It, again, it was 2004, and I remember it was 2004, winter or spring, simply because I was giving up coordinator, and after doing coordinator for eight years, I was about coordinator half the time or a third of the time, and two-thirds of the time I was a skipper, but I'd only be a skipper, and I felt a lot of relief coming because it meant just less responsibility for what was then just 50 cents difference. So I think, oh, great, I'm going to be a skipper. I won't have any hassles or problems at all to deal with. And sure enough, in the, in the headhunter scene, um, the boat in front of me just stopped and okay, okay. I was careful. So I'm like seven to 10 feet behind it. And then like, it's taking on water and the guests are just starting to stand up and their, their heads are like right at the top of the vinyl. I'm thinking, I even wrote this to Rhonda on the journal 2020 site. I was thinking to myself, my God, this is weird. And then the second weird thought that came into my head was, I hope I don't end up on television, which means <laughs> I didn't want to be the center of attention. I didn't want to have to write a, a dozen witness statements. I don't want to have to be accused of not responding properly in the situation. I was so shocked. And the, the poor girl in front, I think her name was Michelle, but I'm not sure. She looked at me with a, a blank look and she put her hands up on both sides of her body that her body posture was indicating, what do I do? <laughs> and I was so, she quickly sprung into action she just grabbed or was handed a cell phone from a guy called 911 and they got in touch with the disney security people and they came down to address our situation a guy just jumped off my yeah. i don't know if he had combat training or was a first responder and he started helping people onto the island uh, the little island where the headhunters are and i'm just dumbfounded i just spoke to the guest in a compolite voice and we're having a technical problem uh, which we frequently have when boats die on the river, and they knew it was not a normal technical problem, but nobody was panicking, no one was screaming or crying. It was half funny and half awkward mm-hmm. and uncomfortable. So what's the, what was the communication system? You know, to the, did you have radios on the boats or any way to communicate with no, the dock? We, this, this I'm fairly certain of. We, have, we got radios on the boats, 
a couple of when the Jungle Cruise reopened after being closed a few days after that boat sinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we reopened, I don't know how long we were closed, but this was in 2004. When we reopened, they had radios and trained us how to use them. Before then, we just had shots, and you'd fire your pistol a different loud. We had different bullets that were louder than the mm-hmm. others, yep. and you would fire the gun out if you had a situation. How many shots you fired told you what the situation was. That went out the window with the boat sinking. We yep. went to radios. Yep. Well, that was, you know, we still have the gun, the gun system in Anaheim, but we also have the radios on the boats for uh, letting people know if there's communication. But it's also, you know, the Orlando River is 50% longer, you know, so the the amount of space you're covering is, is, is much, you know, bigger when you're looking at the boats, so. Oh, I know, because I've gone, when I was a coordinator, we went backwards through the jungle to rescue boats, and if the boats had only gotten 50 yards past the dock, your backwards is going to be, because the boats go slower backwards, mm-hmm. 13 to 14 minutes just to get to the boat. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, obviously there's, you know, there's differences in the, the mechanisms of the ride. You know, uh, we have our the, the rails on the bottom. You guys have the trough. Um, was, I, I'm just going to ask some questions about Orlando I haven't really gone gone into. Um did that limit the speed and the the pacing that you were able to do when you were taking trips? If your boat did not have a lot of people, if you put the throttle all the way down, the boat would go very fast and your timing would not be in sync. If your boat is full, your the, tr- the trough is perfectly synced. That gives the boat a little bit of a bob so it has a more realistic feel. I've been told, I'm not knowledgeable about technicals, but I've been told a trough with a wheel is more realistic boat feel than being on a track. Mm-hmm. So the boat would you know, move up and down a few inches, and it would move side to side, and uh, it had the feel of a boat. In that fact, sometimes for fun, we would just turn the wheel absolutely perfectly. We'd have to really concentrate while feeling. And if we really turned the wheel perfectly, even adults would say, is this guy driving? Mm-hmm. No, we usually didn't bother. We usually just turned it haphazardly, or we let the kid drive, and uh, which is even more fun. Mm-hmm. But when you really try to turn it proportionally to how the boat's moving, because of the realistic feel with the trough system, it might feel for a second, if you're not a maritime expert, that the person is driving the boat. Yeah, it was interesting. I I came down in, I want to say it was 2004, 2005, and uh, I was a cast member in Anaheim, and I got to actually take two trips uh, into the Orlando River, and it it was a very different experience because of the spacing between the the show scenes and the the distance between the boat and the edges of the river. It was a very different um, style and pacing and connection than we we had in in, uh, Anaheim. Um. Oh, sure. And the look and feel is very, very good. I mean, people who are into art and design mm-hmm. say your design is incredible. I mean, and it's just beautiful. The elephant pool's beautiful. Uh, I wish I had seen, I believe, of course, what you say, because you're so knowledgeable. But I, since I've never been to Anaheim, sure, I have not sure. experienced it for myself. Now, did you uh, end up working any other attractions in the area? Or did you, did you stay? I mean, I know you went uh, to Hall of Presidents, we talked about. But uh, did you work anything else in those first in that first twenty years? Oh, this is the funny thing. Uh, this is how the culture changed. Uh, almost not all the cast members, but most cast members started at Jungle simply because it had the most need for people in the day. Riverboat could survive with five, six, or seven a day, but the Jungle Cruise would need um, forty to fifty. So most people started on the Jungle Cruise, even though some did start at Pirates or Haunted Mansion. Uh, 
I was told after a year, uh, the training manager came up to me and said, Jeff, you're going to work at Bat Complex, B-A-T-T, which was Bears Arcade Tiki Treehouse. Mm-hmm. So you didn't ask, you didn't ask, or you could request, but they didn't care. There was no formal system of every nine months or every year to be trained somewhere else. They came to you and told you where you would be trained next. Back then it was, advent- it was uh, Magic Kingdom West, so it encompassed Adventureland and Liberty Square and Frontierland. And the informal joke is, uh, if you're not doing a good job, but you haven't done anything so bad that you should be terminated, they just don't train you anywhere, and you would get the message that maybe it wasn't working out as a cast member, and you voluntarily quit. This is informal, of course. If you're doing a great job, and you had giving positive guest service, you were bright, hardworking, polite, and really a a go-getter, they would train you at a more complex attraction, like Big Thunder Mountain, and if your career was not going anywhere, or you were maybe physically not able to handle the difficulties of a belt ride, they would send you to Country Bears or Tiki's, not because the attractions are any lesser, they're great attractions, just because it was less challenging or less demanding on you on a daily basis. So they came to me and said, I'm going to Country Bears or Tiki's. And I thought, oh, great. I'll get to sit down a little bit in the air conditioning. But, but since I wasn't career track and didn't mind, it didn't bother me. Sure. When other people were, quote, sent there, they thought that they were being told that they better really need to improve before they could take on a more challenging ride like Big Thunder Mountain or Pirates. Mm-hmm. That's informal, but that was the perception at the time. Mm-hmm. So at the at the end of the day, which attractions had you been trained on altogether? I know or learned Jungle Cruise, uh, the Enchanted Tiki Bird Show, which was linked with Treehouse in one rotation, the Swiss Family Treehouse, Country Bear Jamboree, which was linked with the Shooting Arcade, and Haunted Mansion and Hall of Presidents. Mm-hmm. I, in, in Adventure and Liberty Square, what I did not learn was Pirates of the Caribbean and the Riverboats. They're both too technical for me, so I guess the people who sent me the Bat Complex and Bear Show originally were correct. Uh, the technical aspects of Pirates was very challenging. I didn't want to have a go at it, even though I loved the ride. And the Riverboat, with all its safety manuals and valves and steam engines, also was a bit too technical for me. Yeah, but it sounds like you were a people person, so that seems like it was a, a pretty good fit. I was just happy at all my attractions. I would, I tell people, and I told people, never ask to be at an attraction unless you speak to the people who work there and learn the pros and cons. Disney is pretty good at sifting out what your role is, and some people are fantastic and love their role, and others would not be able to handle that role at all. Uh, the biggest problem at Jungle Cruise, are, not the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems is people who were not verbal but very bright and very good workers were sent to the Jungle Cruise where they're supposed to speak in public, and they often were, they mean the upper managers, were considered the jungle no different from any other ride. They would need to screen better for people who feel comfortable speaking in front of guests because many people could be a great attractions host and do a great job talking to the guests one-on-one but not feel comfortable doing comedy in front of 35 people. Mm-hmm. Now, were you, um, I know you do, you were a coordinator, would did the coordinators train new cast members or was there a separate role for trainers? Excellent question. We did not train. I did not want to train. Uh, many trainers were coordinators. Many coordinators were trainers, but they were always separate roles. Mm-hmm. Did uh, one and not the other. Did you feel that there was, you know, if, if you had a new skipper who was coming onto the dock, uh, 
you know, obviously we talked about script integrity and safety, but uh, what, what was the advice that you would give them that you felt was the key to being a successful skipper? I never spoke to the new skippers except politely like, hey, how you doing? And with the college kids, what's your major? I did not give brotherly or sisterly advice to people I met the first week. Uh, we would always, the people who stayed there the full time is on a constant basis, usually like to hang back for a week or two and watch the person's development. And once they make sure they were comfortable in their role, we would speak to them more frequently. So other than, hey, what's your major or what city you're from? It was just casual, polite chat, but because I was not a trainer, I did not really give advice or sure. monitor the other workers, the other cast members too quickly. If a cast member was doing something truly wrong, I would always say, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. And I wouldn't go to management unless it was something serious. But if it was something serious, I either would go to management or say, if this happens again, I'm going to have to go to management. But So that was only if we saw something that was really negatively impacting safety or the guest experience. Basically, I was not into the brotherly advice. After I got to know the people, once they're there three, four, five weeks, and you're working unload on a really slow night, then you can talk to the people and you talk about Disney and you give them suggestions and they'll ask questions. Uh, that's not the first week, though. They have enough to deal with with their own trainer. Mm -hmm. So all the full-timers like to usually stand back a bit and let them adjust. Yeah. Now, it's it's a very different system because, you know, the college program is such an integral part of the operations in Orlando, and it's not really the way that it is uh, in Anaheim. We really don't have that same type of, of system. Was there... Um, uh, a heavy turnover, uh, you know, season to season with the college kids coming through? Oh, yeah, because the average, the average college uh, length duration of their program is six months. So they just start to be feel they just start to feel comfortable in their roles, and then they leave, and everyone was crying because we're going to miss them. They kept coming through, new batch, new batch, two times a year, or sometimes three, depends on how the summers worked. And uh, they were so the college kids, by definition, are very intelligent. But sometimes the maturity wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So you had 18-year-old kids away from home for the first time. And the first time they come to Magic Kingdom is the first day they work there practically. And they have to learn to, um, you know, 15-page, 20-page scripts and entertain 35, 40 people at a time. And it's a lot to deal with. So there was a lot of turnover with people who said, I don't feel comfortable in this role. And they'd often transfer them to other jobs. Uh, but again, we always gave them space, let them work their own stuff out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I became such friends with so many of them, and I always felt sad when they would leave. I always tried to give them space. And I started when I was 23 or 24. A lot of these kids were 18 or 19, and it's hard to be away from home, some of them for the first time, and do this job and live five, six people in the apartment. Uh, so I always felt a little empathetic towards them because I had a little more world experience when I started, and it was still tough for me. Mm -hmm. Um. So I guess, you know, one of the, the questions I always try to ask is, um, so let's say that uh, you meet someone who uh, has never worked at Disney and, and you tell them you were a Jungle Cruise skipper and they get excited. What's, what's your go-to uh, story? What's the thing that you, you know, the experience you tell them or the, the, you know, hey, there was this one time where this, you know, what's, what's the thing that is your go-to story you tell people uh, when they, they learn that you're a Jungle Cruise skipper? They asked me if I've met any celebrities. And as I say, yes, I have, but I always like to tell them the coolest thing is, is when you have a, 
it's very painful to see, but you get used to it because you see it every day. When you have, I was a cancer survivor. I had lymphoma, which many people don't survive. When you have uh, kids from the gift kids of the world come on your boat and they're driving the boat and the whole boat's cheering and clapping for them and everyone's laughing. And at the end, they, you look on the child's face and the family's face. It's like the greatest moment of their lives. And then at least a dozen times, even by taking hundreds of kids out, the parents would, as I got up the boat, grab me by the arm and say something to the effect that, you know, my child is, doctors have told us, is not going to live more than a few months. And you cannot believe how much this is a positive experience for him and Mm -hmm. for her and our family. They say something to that effect. Uh, and those are the uh, those are the beyond great moments that most people in mo- most workplaces never get to experience, mm-hmm. and you get to experience on on an almost daily basis. Also, with kids who drive the boat that appear to have severe learning disabilities, Down syndrome, children who just don't seem to be as popular as some other kids, they always feel like a million bucks when they drive, mm-hmm. and that was really the highlight. Also, when you take a group around and they just laugh the whole time and clap their minds off when uh, they're leaving. Mm-hmm. But most of those experiences were the uh, most important, special, and unique experiences, and I guess I'm kind of privileged to have lived through the, so many of them. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, for some of those kids, it's it's a real thing for them. They, you know, that this is an experience that... Uh, uh, feels as real to them. There, there's no the, the suspension of disbelief is is totally not there for them. They think it's as real as as driving a real boat. So yeah, it's a magical experience. Oh yeah, because they most kids truly believe they are driving. Yeah, the parents never let them in. Some kids drive. They move the wheel so geometrically perfect because they're trying to keep the boat in the middle of the river. Also, frequently, I was I was about a half a dozen to a dozen times. I was either at the treehouse late at night when it's not crowded or at the Hall of Presidents when it's quiet, mm-hmm. and people would come to me and look at me and say, dude, we've got a picture of you on our refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And like 15 years before, I had let a kid drive the boat, and the kid is now a 25-year-old married mom with her own two-year-old kid, and she remembers me because the picture of me is on her fridge or on her wall or something. Because they do take a lot of pictures and you take a lot of guests. I imagine I calculated once I took estimated between 350 and 400,000 people. So when you get those moments, it makes you feel really uh, happy also. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, the the thing I'll say about the Make-A-Wish side is I, I do love that Disney has continued that partnership as strongly as they have uh, in uh, – one of the recent remodels in Anaheim, they actually have a separate lounge set aside for these kids to get out of the hot sun and take a break and meet characters in private and have, you know, downtime with their family. It's, it's, it's amazing the, the number of kids that come through and how great the parks are at supporting those experiences. I think they were building the lounge near the end of my career. And I think it was built. I just don't know the details of it. I yeah. haven't seen it. I heard it was near Tomorrowland, but that's really that's that was needed and overdue. It makes so much sense. I can't imagine it wasn't that done before. I believe space office space is a premium in the Magic Kingdom. There's just not a lot of space, and there's a great demand for it. But this is one of the most important things to have, and I'm really glad I have it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there was there just the did the situation just never work out for you to come out to the West Coast and visit? Uh, I would say. 
that when I was in my 20s, uh, I would go to Magic Kingdom frequently, both after work, before work, and on the weekends. As I married in my early 30s and had kids, I went a few times a year. As much as I love Disney, getting out to California itself would be a stretch. I, always, I just spoke to Sarah Moriama, a person we both know, who's a manager there this week, and she said, oh, come on out, and I'd love to have the opportunity but uh, it hasn't arisen yet. I hope it, it does in the near future. I yeah. would certainly love to come to Disneyland. It just hasn't. And I'd like to hang with you and, and have more story time. But right now, uh, it's not in my sure. plans. It might be in the near future. Yeah. If, if it ever works out, it's, uh, you know, they each each of the parks, and I've been lucky enough to go to the Paris Park as well, um, which uh, in some ways is my favorite of the three. Uh, it's a little blasphemous after being uh, as, as deep, but there's things about the Paris uh, layout and the feel of it that are just truly unique and magical. Um, but yeah, I mean, each of them has their own personality and their own level of magic. So, uh, so was there, <coughs> excuse me, um, were there any places that, uh, you know, if you're just walking and taking a quiet moment that were, you know, the, the special little places that you would just go and, and uh, hang out and feel lucky that you, you got to work at this place? Um, yeah, the, the nice place I enjoy was behind, in Liberty Square, behind uh, uh, the antique shop is a nice tree-shaded tree area where it's very quiet and pleasant. You could sit. Uh, just in general, walking around the park, especially at night, the mm-hmm. park's always great, but there's something special at night if there's good weather. And the lights are beautiful. The colors are gorgeous. And it's nice. Uh, my first night at Disney, before I even worked there, I went through uh, uh, the traditions. And you have to wear, like, business casual. I was, like, wearing a button-down shirt and a tie. And I had my name tag. I looked like a little junior executive. And I'm walking around with my Disney folder in Fantasyland at night. And my eyes are wide open saying, I can't believe I actually work here. This is so cool. Mm-hmm. And I was wandering aimlessly and I just walked into a restaurant. It must have been Pinocchio's. And I'm just walking in looking around. And what happened was the cast members there saw a young guy with a tie and a button down shirt and a name tag and immediately started tapping each other on the shoulders. And they started scrubbing faster and, and cleaning up and paid more attention to detail. And like a semi panicked and I thought there was some sort of manager monitoring them. And I was in fact, my first day at work and I'm just walking around wild-eyed saying, oh, cool, I work here. Well, you know, and I, it's, it's funny in, in hearing you tell that story and just kind of putting together the pieces uh, of things you've told me. It's great when people have had those, those long careers with the, the, with the, the resorts uh, and still have kind of a sense of wonder and magic about the thing that they, uh, that they did, you know, I, I don't get the feeling that you got jaded about uh, the job that you were doing. It seems like it, it stayed a very magical experience for you. It bothered me that the bo- the five or 10% of the jungle cruise skippers who just considered a job, maybe because they're in Orlando and they're used to it, didn't understand how cool it was and how much the rest of the country appreciates how awesome it is. Frequently people come up to me and say, you know, when my career is done, I'm going to retire, come to Orlando and work part-time at Disney World. And I'm thinking, I often said to them, sir or ma'am, ma'am, I figured that out when I was 18 years old, and that's why I've spent my whole life here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always appreciated it. Also, to be fair, the wage structure was different. When you started in the late 80s, early 90s, you got an hourly salary that through your career averaged uh, approximately $4 a head an hour of the people who started 
in the years 2003 to 2008. Mm -hmm. So I always thought we were paid fairly well, and there was lots of opportunities for overtime and health insurance. And Disney even gave me adoption credit when we adopted our precious daughter from Russia. Mm -hmm. So I thought the company always treated me well. But to be fair, the economic deal they gave to their hourly cast members who stayed for their whole careers was better in the late, who started in the late 80s and early 90s sure. than it was for people who started in 20, 2003, 2005. And that's to be, that's been acknowledged by, uh, economists and business experts. Uh, people have to, they don't have to confront it, but people should be aware mm -hmm. of that. I was simply lucky I showed up and got a better deal than other people who were just as good or better cast members than I was. Oh, sure. And, I, you know, and I've met skippers who worked uh, in the, the 50s and 60s at, at uh, uh, Disneyland, who were able to have very comfortable lives because of you know the staying there for the the length of time that they did. So, yeah, and also overtime is something not everyone wants to do. But for people who live close, and I live very close, mm -hmm. who I I averaged for my entire thirty year career, other than the years I had cancer, I probably averaged fifty five to fifty eight hours a week. That's not my business weeks, that was my average week. Mm -hmm. So I worked hard and I felt that Disney gave me an opportunity to earn a, a modest middle-class living. And for all theme park workers, it's just much harder to do now. I might've probably made different decisions if I was born in 1990 and came to work in 20, in, in 2010, but I simply took the deal that was given to me yep. and I've never regretted it, but I might not have made the same decisions 20 years later. Yeah. Well, it seems like you made the most of it. So, um, well, you know, because obviously this is our, our opportunity for you to, uh, put down any other stories that you want to tell or any other memories or even just discussing, uh, you know, happy memories of people you worked with, you know, you've got the floor. If there's anything else you want to put down for posterity, this is the opportunity. Uh, I, I feel it was the absolutely coolest place I could ever imagine working. Uh, I don't want to give a specific story, but the totality of what I experienced is amazing. And I, feel that the America changed and Walt Disney World changed. And so what we experienced in the 80s and 90s uh, might not be the same experience someone gets today. But it was the most fun, amazing job, and I was actually able to earn a living at it. And my wife and daughter enjoyed the parks. Uh, I feel Disney gave me the best deal. And I hope that in retrospect, the people who came on my boats and my cast members feel that I gave them a great deal. Well, I... I, I definitely know that the the people that I know who worked with you um, uh, definitely hold you in high regard, and uh, I I don't know that I said this once we uh, actually started rolling the recording, but you know in the the eight years that I've been doing this, almost nine now, uh, your name came up more than any other Walt Disney World skipper of of people who uh, felt like I should get you on and let you tell some stories and put your history down so that you got a chance to share with people who love the attraction, who uh, who uh, want to know some of the stories behind the history and, and uh, the feelings of it. Um, I guess, do, uh, do you still have a favorite jungle joke after all these years? I don't tell Jungle Cruise jokes outside of context. <laughs> but I have favorites and I have store. What I usually tried to do at unload was more than I told jokes. I told, uh, 
uh, stories, uh, 30 to 45 second stories. I do have some jokes, but they don't, I've tried them outside of the jungle and they don't, yeah. they don't well, really sound, they don't sound right. Yeah, so I, well, don't, I don't give them out. And I guess I wasn't, I wasn't going as much for having you tell it as just like things that, you know, things that you particularly like the way that it, uh, that it, that uh, the joke was told or that it, the way it came across, not as much telling it, but just like which things were, were your kind of favorites to work with? Were you, were you an intellectual? Did you go for the, the wordplay? I, I didn't do a lot of wordplay. What I did a lot was, I, I think the word was anthropom. I never knew what the word was, anthropomorphized. Mm-hmm. And I did these jungle exit spiels where I was interacting with the other animals in the jungle as if they were cast members who went to work. <laughs> so I really, we always told great stories about what the rhinos thought of their job or what the headhunters had to change their names from to to get the job. And what I like to do is I'd like to imagine that and I told to express it as funny or hopefully funny, 30 or 40 second stories to my guests was that the, that the entire jungle cruise was a, a, a play. And then the animals and uh, all the creatures under jungle were actually willing participants. <laughs> that's uh that's a good way of preserving the magic. Uh, now, of course, I guess the last thing is, you know, uh, with that long of a, uh, History in the jungle, you know, we're coming up on the summer for the uh, the big reunion, the 2020 Skipper reunion. But part of the core of that is we've got the the movie coming out, and I've I've been lucky enough to uh, to get to know a little bit about it. Uh, is is there a pretty uh, good level of excitement, anticipation toward uh, toward the film coming out this year for you and the people who you know down there? Um, I. Uh... When it comes to bringing attention on the Jungle Cruise, we never, uh, me and my, I guess my friends, never really felt comfortable with all the attention we got. The the best attention we have is when 35 people clap and cheer for you Mm -hmm. or make a magic moment for a kid. If a big budget movie is made by Hollywood, all you could do is sit there and hope that the feel and tone of the movie is similar to what you would experience if you were going to make a movie of the Jungle Cruise. And so I have to reserve judgment until I saw it. Um, I simply don't know. I'm I'm thrilled and honored that they would make a movie mm-hmm. about the Jungle Cruise, and I hope uh, they succeed in uh, showing people all over the world what the Jungle Cruise is all yeah. about. And well, I hope the movie can do that. Well, it is. I, I just don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a love letter to skippers, and uh, I, I think everyone's going to be really happy when they see the finished result. So I'm uh, maybe I don't know if I'm going to be able to get down in in uh, July to Orlando. It's uh, it's kind of in the back pocket of things that are happening. We have a lot of job changes with my wife right now. So, but I'm I'm hoping to to get down. I've got some main gate tickets that are saved up and uh, hoping to get down there in July to hang out with all you guys again and, and uh, you know, hear a couple more good stories from everyone. Uh, I hope to see you uh, in the summer and I hope this podcast has uh, helped uh, people understand and enjoy the jungle who's more. Yeah. Thank you very much, Kyle. Jeff, thanks. I, uh, I appreciate it. As, uh, as I learned from the family of skippers in, uh, in Walt Disney World, the best way to end anything like this is to say kungaloosh. And uh, thank you for taking the time with us, Jeff. It's been a real pleasure. I'll tell my grandkids I worked on the Jungle Cruise. They won't believe me until I show them a picture. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thanks much.